Hello, and welcome to AA Beyond Belief, the podcast. I'm your host, John S. This is episode 61. I'll be speaking with PJ from Sydney, Australia. You might remember him. He published a story here on May 7th, Notes from Down Under, Meetings, Storytellers, Fellowship, and Sobriety. And that's pretty much what this podcast is about. PJ's story, other people's stories, the fellowship, and sobriety. I think you'll enjoy this one. Hey, PJ, how you doing? Ah, look, John, I'm okay, but I'm very nervous, but that's okay. I've I've told you about it, so that's okay, yeah. Well, (laughs) as as I said, I love doing this, and I'm I'm here relaxed, got a cup of coffee. I know you go over there with a cup of tea, and (laughs) uh, we'll just sit back and have a little conversation, a couple of AA friends. Absolutely, okay, we'll be fine. You know, a good way to get to know people and something I like to do here um, and that people enjoy and get a lot of good uh, benefit from is uh, just the sharing of our, our stories and our experience. And I wonder if you might tell us a little bit about yourself, how you got involved with the program, and um, maybe we can just take it from there. Yeah, I'd love to, John. Look, I'm from an Irish oral storytelling background. While I'm in Australia, you know, I migrated here in 89, so... My background is storytelling, and that element of AA I really took to, you know. Yeah. But look, um, so my story, look, mine is before I got near, I just talk about it a bit, is before I got near my first drink, my first drink, I was a shock duck. I had all this anxiety as a kid and ungrounded fears, um, you know, and I was always ill at ease growing up. And uh, I, was, I was that way from my earliest memory to my first drink at 19. And, you know, um, I don't come from an alcoholic family or a, a violent background or anything I could say that make me should make me feel that way, but I just was. And I guess the description I'd put is, you know, it was, it was like being on AM and everyone else around me on FM. I just had trouble figuring out what was going on and anything to do with social groups were, was a real challenge, you know. But yeah. I was good at school and I like school, but anything to do with sports... And uh, in my teens then, you know, I became interested in girls and terrified. I would have thrown up all over them if I'd gone near them, you know. So, you know, you, you can't tell anyone that, you know. you're. Yeah. Uh, it's what do they think or how do you explain it. But, um, you know, uh, but I managed it sort of all the time and I couldn't eat food in front of people or getting on buses, like all this sort of sort of phobias, I suppose. Yeah. But um, anyway, I was in Dublin at 19 in this pub in Dublin and there was some nice looking girls there and I was keen to, uh, you know, introduce myself, but I would have thrown up all over them. (laughs) Uh, It was terrible, you know, but um, a friend of mine, Nick, bought me my first drink and uh, I didn't plan on being an alcoholic, you know, it wasn't a career move and I, I didn't like people that drank too much, but I had a few mouthfuls and began to feel a bit better, and I had a few more mouthfuls. And, uh, you know, the effect for the, like, the alcoholics will understand this. You know, it's, it's, it's a big changer. And I went from being socially completely inept to being able to suddenly, you know, participate. And that was wonderful, you know, and I could talk to girls, and, you know, I thought, oh, you know, the answer to life is I have four or five drinks, I can do all this, and that's all you got to do, you know. Reminds and when I got uh, Bill W's account of his first drink, I remember he, yeah, was, yeah, exactly the same thing, kind of withdrawn at a party at, uh, for World War One vets, and uh, yes. had that kind of experience. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, 
And when I got sober, I heard a guy share one night, he reckoned he was born about five drinks short of normal. Mm-hmm. And when he had five drinks, he felt normal. And that's a good description of me. But, yeah. but when I had that first drink, you know, in hindsight, I had that physical compulsion, you know. I had that pull to have more. And I got that mental obsession. You know, I didn't realize that's what was happening. But look, I, and I, I'm somebody that never needed instruction in drinking, you know. I've, I, I was probably, apart from breathing air, it's one of the most natural things I've done, you know. I've never had to buy a book called Drinking for Dummies. No. <laughs> no. I never had to do a course called The Beginner's Guide to the Consumption of Alcohol, you know. Yeah. Now, sobriety has been the opposite, you know. Uh, I've needed all the help I've, I've, I could get. But look, my, my drinking story, you know, wasn't all bad. I had a ball. Like my first five years was com- compared to how I was, you know, mm-hmm. was, was a wonderful time. And I loved that I was a Guinness drinker. And I, I discovered a thing called Bushmills malt, single malt whiskey. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I used to dream about drink, you know, and I used to Look, I used to love the anticipation of the first one, you know. I used to love picking the first one up in my hand and the way you'd lift it up. And you'd, I'd love the way the glass would kiss your lower lip. And as you as you tipped it back, I love the way it would go into your mouth, under your tongue, back towards your throat. And, and when you swallowed, there was just this spot it got, you know. And it was, as I said, look, it was magic. But, yeah. uh, you know, I'm an alcoholic. Alcoholism is progressive. You know, the longer I drank, the worse it got. So, you know, blackouts came along, drink driving. I never got caught, fortunately. Mm. Uh, you know, coming to in strange places, you know, that morning after, you know, what have I done? How am I going to get out of this one? Uh, you know, and I met a I met a, a lady who, unfortunately, you know, for her, I married. <laughs> and you know, it wasn't long before she was saying things like, uh, why can't you have two drinks like everybody else? <laughs> Which I didn't know why I couldn't have two drinks. Uh, so my answer to that was, well, I'll only let her see me have two drinks. Yeah. Uh, so then the sneak drinking starts, you know, and the hiding it. And, you know, she used to say things like, you're a nice bloke, except when you drink. Mm-hmm. You know, I couldn't get over it. And, uh, you know, it just progresses on. And, it gets worse and worse. So we decided we'd migrate to Australia. And six weeks after we got married, actually, we came here. And uh, so I replicated my problems beautifully here. Wow. So alcoholism comes with you. You don't so have to pack. how old were you when, you when you moved to Australia? I was 29. Oh, okay. Yeah. It was all, you know, the new life and the new hope and, uh, you know, the new country and the promise of everything. And it is, you know, Australia was, was tremendous. But, sure. you know, I was still... I was still drinking, and interestingly, you know, going back in my story, um, when I was around 25, like all the anxieties and fears were, were just getting very problematic, and uh, I was put in touch with a doctor who dabbled a bit in psychology, and over a 10-week uh, period, he taught me relaxation techniques and explained to me, you know, what was going on with my nervous system, and uh, I got to the point where I could I could eat in front of people, I could get on buses, so it was really allowed me to manage all of that but you know what i still had to drink you know and i was no longer drinking in order to overcome the anxieties you know and that's that was a real watermark you know i still needed to drink whereas before i could say well i need to drink because i'm anxious yeah but you know and you know it's only since coming into a i look back on that you know uh but you know we came to australia 
Um, and, you know, for a while I had a new job. You're busy, you know. Mm-hmm. I had to do a lot of exams. Uh, my wife was doing exams. Like, we were, we were trying to catch up. Uh, but, it, you know, it's, I was a binge drinker. I was a stop-start periodic. I could give it up for long periods of time. I stopped drinking for over a year, you know, mm-hmm. and up for months wasn't unusual. And I thought, you can't be an alcoholic if you can stop. Yeah. Where have I heard that before? Right. <laughs> uh, and yet, you know, when you come into AA, you hear people say the name of so-and-so, they're an alcoholic, and they haven't had a drink for so long, right. you know. But, but I, I thought, that, you know, saying that you were an alcoholic and you didn't drink was a complete contradiction. Yeah. You know, it was, it was like saying it's a corpse that's alive. Yeah. You know, it, it made no, I just couldn't grasp that idea. Mm. Uh, you know, I just didn't want to admit I was an alcoholic. Look, the, the reason I, I wound up coming to AA was pressure from my wife. Uh, she was a pretty, you know, a strong-willed person. And she said, look, um, you got to do something about this because I'm not putting up with it. You know, I used to you know, not come home at night and disappear and yeah. I'm drunk and I was verbally abusive and, you know, we're not nice, John. Our, no, our, we're our, not. Yeah, I know. And I don't wallow in it, but, you know, I don't forget that, you know. No. That, uh, you know, I'm sitting here talking to you and I'm reasonable, I hope. But, you know, when I was drinking, uh, anything could happen. I was Jekyll and Hyde, you know. Yeah, I was too. I was pretty unpredictable. I was pretty unreliable. I was fortunate for me. I was I was living by myself, so you know people weren't too affected by me. But still, yeah, I was like that yeah. too. I wouldn't come home sometimes. Yeah. No. Anyway, um, so I went to see this psychologist through work, and she said to me, "What's going on?" And I said, "Well, my marriage is a bit in a bit of trouble, and my wife thinks I drink too much." So, um, you know, we, she asked me then about how much I drank and when I had my first drink and quantities. And I felt very, very anxious about that. I didn't feel happy with that at all. And, of course, I lied and told her I drank only a fraction, as you do. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Uh, at the end of it all, she says, well, you are exceeding the recommended, you know, maximum intake of alcohol. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, look, there's two options here. One is you're an alcoholic, which means you can never, ever drink again. And the other is you're a heavy drinker who's lost control, and I can teach you how to do control drinking. So, mm. you know, I give you one guess which option yeah. I went for. <laughs> yeah. And, and of course, this this means you can have to have two standard drinks a day, and a, a standard drink is what they call a midi in Australia, which is uh, like half a pint or less. It's it's tiny, you know. Yeah. During this section of the podcast, I temporarily lost my connection with PJ, but called him right back. Okay, so we'll just kind of pick up where we where we left off there. Yeah, okay. do you recall where you were when we when we dropped off? We were talking about um, you were you were the, where you were at. You were visiting the um, psychologist, and she was recommending that that you were going to go ahead and try controlled drinking. Yeah, as yeah, we, we, tr- okay. we tried that, and it was a disaster. But she did get me to go to AA, which was a real positive because it spoiled my drinking. Yeah, I wasn't ready for it, but you know, I, I'm a big fan of the power of a meeting. You know, if you have someone they don't want, they don't think they're an alcoholic, take them to a meeting. Uh, it spoiled my drinking, and then it primed me for down the track. You know, mm-hmm. I did come back. Uh, 
And also, like, to give her her due, like, I worked through a lot of my upbringing, my childhood. I spent about 18 months, and I did resolve quite a few things that were bothering me from when I was growing up. Uh, but, you know, it, that's not going to keep you sober until you accept that first step. That's been my experience, you know. Um, so to make a long story short, you know, eventually my wife just left, uh, and I thought, oh, this, you know, is terrible. But you know what? I can drink as I want, and she's not around. She's not going to see me anymore. I don't have to limit my drinks. I don't have to pretend. And within about eight months, I went right downhill. Not, not financially. You know, I was still holding down the job just. I was still, I was actually getting promoted at work, of all things. Uh, but my my consumption massively increased. And uh, and then what began to happen was my, my resistance to, you know, I, I just was getting drunk easier and, uh, all the fears came back and I was just at a point where uh, I was going to try and do myself in. That's just the, yeah. the truth. You know? And on my weekends off, you know, I spent on my own. I just go out to the bar to buy a drink, maybe buy a, a case of beer. And that was it. It was terrible. Like the loneliness, the fears, the resentments. And um, through a friend of mine, she redirected me back to this psychologist who, who said to me, you know, to give her her due, she said, look, you haven't had too much, so much success with me, but my colleague next door has had a lot to do with alcoholics. So I went to see him and, you know, he said, what's happening? So I told him the poor PJ story, mm-hmm. <laughs> which I thought must be the saddest story in the world. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and he didn't think so. <laughs> and, and he just said to me, um, what about your drinking? And I said, look, if I could sort my life out first and get it all straightened, maybe I could look at the drinking. And he said... I think you have it the wrong way around. And, you know, if you deal with your drinking first, you know, let's, let's get the drink out of the picture, first of all, mm-hmm. and we'll, we'll mm-hmm. deal with what's left. And uh, and he said, I'm pretty sure if, if you manage to do this, a lot of your problems will disappear. And he was correct because drink driving ended, yep. blackouts ended, yep. coming to strange places. All of that garbage and rubbish that we pull on ourselves just went so he, he said, you know, you got to go to AA. I, did, I didn't want to go. Mm-hmm. And I said, I've been there. And uh, he says, well, look, Alcoholics Anonymous is where alcoholics go to learn how to lead a life without needing to drink. And that's what I found in AA pretty much. Yeah. Uh, the pub is full of alcoholics who are experts on drinking. So, yeah. you know, which bunch of experts do you want to be with? True. So you know, I begrudgingly went the next night. I parked the car a few blocks away. I was watching the front door <laughs> mm-hmm. to see who was going in. Anonymity, you know, uh, like the protection of anonymity in AA was, was very welcome. Yeah, but it was for me I'd too. Been, oh, yeah. I'd been to two meetings, so I had some idea. Look, what I got was a warm handshake, which is just so much. Yeah. And I said, you know, just try and listen. Uh, and he came up to me at the end of the meeting and just said, um, you know, whatever you do, don't pick up the first drink. And come to another meeting mm-hmm. and that was my that's what i'd say to anybody new you know yeah. just that's what you got to do and uh i went to another meeting and another meeting and another meeting and you know i've, I've been sober since then and um you know it's been hard it's been all sorts of things but there's always aa and you know you know i've made a lot of contacts now and a lot of resources but it just takes time you know yeah yeah yeah, and that was- yeah. I always urge uh, newcomers or, or, or and let them know that you know, from my experience too, that you know, the the main thing is it's really tough in the beginning because a lot of your problems from your drinking have to play out while you're still sober, 
But the, yeah. the the good thing is you're not adding to those problems. There's no more yeah. DWIs. There's no more court dates. There's you know, yeah. none of that kind of crap from your drinking. And yeah. but it does take some time, and it's really difficult yeah. to kind of ride through that. You know. Um, yeah. So, yeah, but so tell me, so you, what, what, what was your impression of AA? I mean, now you're, you're now involved in secular AA and was the religious aspect of the program bothering you at the time or was it very religious in Australia? What, can you tell me a little bit about what the meetings are like there and what, how your impression was of them? Yeah. I mean, I've been to meetings in the U S a few times, so Mm -hmm. I I would classify the U S and Ireland very religious, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, and this is a secular country by and large, and there's a lot of people here who have never been inside a church in their lives, you know. In Australia? So, yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Uh, and that was a shock. When I came here, like I was a practicing Catholic when I did come to Australia, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I was I was amazed the people I worked with, they'd never been to a church. <laughs> yeah. And they decent people. This was like, now this is when I was practicing and believed Catholicism was the only way to go. But... With the meetings, I, I hated the word God, and I couldn't say it in the serenity prayer. They, used to, they closed the meetings here generally with the serenity prayer, mm-hmm. uh, and I couldn't say that word. But with the meetings, I, I think the overriding influence was, like that first meeting back where I actually got sober, there were people with amazing stories. There's a few guys there who you know lived in parks, dereliction, been in jails, drunk, yeah. you know, yeah. alcohol. But they were well dressed and they were happy. Yeah. So I think that was this with me. If you get my curiosity stirred up about something, you've got me, you know. Mm-hmm. And I just couldn't understand this conundrum, so I just kept coming back. But um, you know, I, I wasn't able to read. You know, in the beginning, I couldn't remember who spoke at a meeting. Mm-hmm. You know, if you asked the names, uh, people said, you know, you got to you got to read a big book. Uh, I couldn't read a paragraph on you know the just for today card yeah you know so you know my my head was racing but yeah so my sense of AA in the beginning was the warmth of it mm-hmm. the the generosity of people really the handshakes mm-hmm. and I, I i did receive a lot of um you know kindness in the yeah. beginning a lot of sort of because I, I i tend to jump in oh i gotta jump in and do the steps and mm. you know maybe maybe i'm i'm sober nine months and i'm still struggling with the first step and Somebody else is in three months and they're up to step 10. And you know, right, right. <laughs> oh, I got it quick. But, you know, the old timers say, look, you just got to settle down. And, yeah. You know, like basically get into the habit of meetings. Uh-huh. You know, that just a very normal thing that I do. Um, so the religious part and the God element, uh, I mean, there are some very religious people. When I came in, what they used to say is, you know, leave your religion at the door on the way into a meeting uh-huh. and pick up on the way out. There you go. That's a good, good, good suggestion. It is. And by and large, I mean, I, I, I come across some very religious people, you know, very much uh, practicing Catholics and Anglicans, but you'd never hear them say it at the meeting. Yeah. You, so it was that sort of separation, you know, there was a place for it. Yeah. But it wasn't that. But then again, you would get some people, uh, and I think it's a more recent phenomena here that it's it's a bit more churchy. That being said, it's very difficult to have an objective view of that, you know, or maybe it's my sensitivity to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you don't know, but like, I certainly had trouble with the God part uh, in the beginning, but look, what, what I'm, I, I figured out was that, you know, you, you put the drink down, you come to meetings, you need something more powerful than you to help you. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, I knew that. 
And uh, this guy, Stan from Ramsgate, see, I had the industrial strength Irish Irish Catholicism beaten Mm -hmm. into me as a kid. He had the same Anglican version. Mm -hmm. And he said to me, you know, like, he helped me unwind that God of fear and, you know, the retribution and, you know, watch watch yourself, you know. Yeah. Uh, so what I did was I began to, you know, go through the third step prayer, the seventh step prayer and say the words. And it seemed to kind of work, you know. Mm-hmm. And I got a level, I guess, of comfortability. But I'm never someone that could say, you know what, John, I got God right here beside me, you know. Yeah. I, I never, you know, I, I got a direct line. He's on Skype, you know. I'm having yeah. a chat. You know, uh, but but the thing is, is is like that was one part of the overwhelming change of my life by coming to AA, you know, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I just like the people. And yeah, I now the fellowship, you know, first and foremost, that's the driver, really. Yeah. And I, I used to go to meetings with Alkies. We used to go out places and we'd have laughter. And when I was feeling down, I talked to them. And so it was just a big bunch of people just like me. And we were all keeping each other sober yeah. that's what was working so it was, it was like I, I, I had icing on a cake but there was no need for the icing you know right the the, the cake the cake really was the fellowship that's it yeah. um, well that was similar to my experience too i really didn't have any issue i i wasn't a, i didn't have any religious background whatsoever but um i kind of went on i kind of the they it didn't seem like they were pushing the religious stuff too much in the very very beginning but it seems but it might also be that i didn't really pay attention to it that i was really more focused on the stories and just the fact that i was in a room full of people who actually listened to me and cared about me and had the same experiences as i did and i felt safe there so yeah. i wasn't so bothered by it but yeah. what uh, what started happening, and and you you mentioned something in there about how the old timers would tell you just relax, take it easy. You know when we're all anxious about the steps, those guys are wise and they're very right, and I've come to understand that too. Um, but when I was a newcomer, and I see I see people now who are just starting out do the same thing. You see those steps, or you see that big book, and you think, "I just got to do it, just so." And I, and if I if I don't do it, I'm I'm not going to get sober. You know, and people put a lot of pressure on themselves. You know, yeah. looking for, I guess, some kind of a magic answer, but really, it's just the meetings and yeah. a lot of the stuff. I found um, you kind of get through osmosis. You know, you kind of pick up from yeah. other people in the meetings. Yeah, I would agree, and you just jogged my memory because. There was, when I came in, a kind of a fundamentalist group had started up mm. and they were doing the big the steps from the big book yeah. and they would descend on meetings and they'd have maybe a sprinkling of four or five of them and they would all have, it wasn't really a share, it was a sales pitch, you mm. know, that yeah. if like with my group, we have a sponsor and we do the steps this way out of the big book. Right. And it was, it was so, you know, being new, you jump. You know, so uh, and when you stand up at a meeting and say anyone under 90 days, then that's it. You're like got a target on you yeah. and it lasts to you. And this guy, you know, I, I you know, he latched on to me and he took me to meetings and I very quickly look, I operate on gut feeling a lot, you know, and I sense this isn't right. And I found mm-hmm. then that I could only go to meetings they sh- reckon I should go to. Mm-hmm. I could only talk to people they thought I wow. could talk yeah, but um, he did say, to give him his due, he did say, you know, if it doesn't work out, you can find someone, you know, you know, we just leave it. And uh, which I plucked up the courage to do that. 
And of course, then I felt uncomfortable because I would see these guys in the meetings, like the general meetings. So you have to sort of overcome that a bit, you know. But I latched on to old timers and they said, look, don't worry about them. These were people with 35 or 40 years yeah. sobriety. Yeah. Mind you, all these people with the answer had less than five. Oh, I know. No, six months. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and there's a, a saying, relaxer Jack, who died this year, he got sober in 1953. And he was a big loss. But he used to say, you know, the young man knows it all. The old man has seen it all. There you, you know? go. <laughs> it's very telling. Yeah, it is, <laughs> and then, isn't it? They were experts, you know. But look, it was I was resentful of them for a while. Uh, but, you know, you just get over it and you move on. And you sort of have to, you got to learn how to manage yourself and survive in AA too in the beginning, you know. it's uh, Yeah, but anyway, that was you know, put me right off them. I stuck with the old timers. I couldn't read. I was literate, mm-hmm. but it was racing. And then, you know, a guy called Little Davey said to me, there's plenty of people in A can't read and write. Or even if they can read, they can read at a very low level. Yeah. And there's a guy, um, I don't know if I should mention names, but he's on the Northern Beaches. He's sober 53 years, but he's always on the beach at Manly and he can't read and write. He'll tell you that himself. Uh-huh. But what he has done is taken new, fragile people. He'll have them on the beach, and he gives them the sun, surf, and sand treatment, you know? Huh. Go for run on the sand. He'll massage the anger out of them, the anxiety out of them, you know? Just huh. have them outdoors. And one guy, you know, that he took under his wing wound up getting his bronze surf life-saving certificate, you know? Huh, cool. And he can't read and write, you know, but there's a bunch of people I know who've sort of been through his school of sun, surf and sand. Uh-huh. Yeah. So uh, it, it doesn't, there's many ways basically to get sober and yeah. stay so, you know, that's, you got to have an open mind, you yeah. know, that there's, you know, uh, and Stan from Ramsgate used to say, you know, there's no wrong way to get sober and there's no right way to pick up that first drink. There you go. No, so like I, I quote people a bit because they said stuff that was very important for me, you know. Uh, and I like to keep it alive. I like mm-hmm. to try and remember and remind myself. Yeah. So yeah, with the religious stuff, I kind of uh, around about seventeen years sober. I was doing the prayers. I was saying all this stuff, uh, and I, it felt hollow, you know. Mm-hmm. But I just look if in doubt, you know, just keep coming to meetings, see what happens. You know, it takes time. I didn't know atheists existed in AA, you know? Yeah, same here. I was unaware until I was in um, Florida in December 2015, and I went to a meeting, and this guy shared that he was an atheist. Hmm. And uh, I was amazed. And he said, no, there's not one of those steps I can't put into my life. And he said, you know, don't believe these people that tell you you have to have God. And, uh, you know, it has to be a particular a Christian God or whatever. And the next lady who spoke after him was a Christian, and her share was just a lambasting of him. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it didn't matter because I'd heard him, mm-hmm. you know. And then a few weeks later, I was in Berkeley, California, and I went to an atheist AA meeting because now I was starting to search online, you know. Uh-huh. And I was in a room with about 20 atheists. Wow. And that was mind-blowing. <laughs> mm-hmm. And the secretary gave me, you know, some details. Your website, I think at that stage it was AA Agnostica. Uh-huh. 
Uh, I think Air Beyond Belief came along, was it 2016, was it? 2015, September. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay, so then I latched on to that and, you know, we got I got some books, um, you know, Common Sense Sobriety and the that's Alternative. That's a good one, Adam. Sense Sobriety. We, we sell that at our meeting. You know, that's one of the books that we advertise. Oh, cool. Yeah, uh, that's a good book. Yeah. And, you know, it's fellowship, really. It's, you know, you're in touch with like-minded people mm-hmm. and you're mm-hmm. not alone. You're not the only one. Uh, yeah, so um, I was I was starting to get, I, I met an atheist friend of mine, Dave, and uh, he, he had, um, this is in 2015, January, he'd come out of a detox and he was at one of his first meetings out and about and he got up to speak and uh, he just said, I'm an atheist and have been for a long time and I'm trying to come to terms with the God language, you know, mm-hmm. but he was actually sitting beside me, but he sat down. I just put my hand out and said, I'm an atheist too. <laughs> so we, you know, we exchanged numbers and then we talked about starting a meeting. And, uh, and then I went to a couple of meetings that were a bit, that were particularly godlike. Yeah. So I rang Dave and I said, I'm over, let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, it took about eight months to uh-huh. locate a venue and, decide what to do and you know and then there's all these doubts because uh it's sort of like coming out you know yeah it is and you're you're you know and when you started to share at meetings i'm an atheist uh you know and and some people that were i knew for a long time and i thought were really good friends you mentioned that a word Uh and they're looking at you you know like they take a step back yeah that's hard to go through that yeah couldn't care less so, uh, and then I'm thinking, are we mad starting this meeting, you know, mm-hmm. uh, really, you know, do you have to do it? And, uh, but we, you know, we decided, you know, and we, we started in the end of January, uh, this year. So we're very new, mm-hmm. uh, and it's been wonderful. It's been amazing. Yeah. And I'm now no doubt we we definitely should have started it. And it has been a benefit to a lot of people because they're, like Dave, Dave reckons there's an untapped market of atheists out there, and he's oh, absolutely yeah. there is right. Yeah, so we're tapping them, you know. Absolutely, <laughs> um, that's the that's the whole thing um, that I found too. And you know, when I when we started our group, um, I, I I was okay. I just left my old home group, and I didn't even tell anybody what we were doing. And yeah. we weren't really, you know, looking to get anybody who was already going to AA. Um, although yeah. we did let the other AA groups know that we were out there, but we started getting people that wouldn't have anything to do with AA otherwise. And they were finding our group. And that's what was so, that was so rewarding for me to, cause that's really what I was kind of hoping too. So we're kind of really bringing people in who might not ever have, just avoid AA altogether, probably. Absolutely. Yeah. And you know, Dave and I had fully expected that for the first three months, it had just be two of mm-hmm. us. And we had organized our finances to fund it for, you know, three months just on, on our own. Mm-hmm. And the first person to walk into our meeting on our first day was a Canadian. Uh, wow. <laughs> and he had just um, come from Bangkok that morning. He'd uh-huh. been in Thailand for three months, hadn't been to a meeting in all that time, nearly busted, was was off his head. And he walks in and he says, <laughs> is the coffee on? You know, <laughs> <laughs> and um, that was it. And uh and what I didn't realize, you see, I'm being my, my age and that is the power of the internet. I still don't fully appreciate it. Yeah, it's amazing. I'd, I'd forgotten that people will just use a smartphone and Google a meeting. 
Yeah. And we, we, we come up, you see, we, we got listed online straight away. Yep. And uh, we just come up and people who not, not necessarily looking for an atheist meeting, see it's a meeting. Like mm-hmm. they come out of detoxes and they'll, you know, they see it's the only Monday meeting at midday in our area. Mm-hmm. So it's the, you know, um, yeah. And since then we've had, you know, quite a few overseas people as well. That's just amazed me. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, but it, it, and we're kind of learning, you know, we, the format of the meeting was different. Um, we've shifted it a bit. It's very much, um, the, the main meetings, when I came in, the, the big, the, 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 the vast majority of meetings are what's called ID or identification, okay. which ran an hour and a half and people would get up and share their stories, what they were like, what happened, what they're like now. Okay. And that was meetings I kind of cut my teeth on. Mm-hmm. Um, there were steps meetings as well, but more recently, you know, there's big book study groups and there's topic meetings mm-hmm. as business, daily reflections. Uh, so we wanted to have an ID meeting because really we just wanted to tell a story yeah. and it's also your getting sober story, but also your atheist story, uh, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, so you're then talking about, you know, how, how you figure that bit out. Well, this is our ID anyway, as much as, you know, we're sort of learning mm-hmm. as we go. And uh, we only have an hour, which is short in Sydney, because most meetings are an hour and a half. Oh. So, um, yeah, we, we, we like a lot of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so so it's we had to kind of shift the format a little bit and cut down. We were reading out more about alcoholism, mm. but we um we had to we had to cut that out. So we're up and running within five minutes, like from when we opened the meeting, the that's first good. person. That's... Yeah, yeah. There's and a lot we... of groups that go through a lot of opening ceremonies to that take like uh, fifteen minutes uh, uh, to start the meeting. <laughs> I did I did meetings in Canada, and it was the minutes of last week's meetings. <laughs> <laughs> and that's your report. And yeah. I'm thinking, I'm not here. I couldn't care. I want to hear an alcoholic. <laughs> yeah. I kind of liked it when I was uh, many, many years ago, back in the 90s, I, I experienced um, AA in New England. And boy, I just loved it. But it was I almost felt like I was at a town hall meeting or something, you know? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. those, those meetings were an hour and a half, too. And they'd take a yeah. break, and they would have an auction, and all kinds of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, um, so you know, the meeting's going really well. It's we're we're regularly getting you know double figures. I think our max is fourteen. Um, great. And also, we've attracted regular people too, mm-hmm. because one of the I don't know about your meeting, but. Uh, one of the problems we experienced was was people used to refer to us as other oh, atheists, you know, mm-hmm. and we are an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting. Mm-hmm. And one of the guys who was very new, actually, and he shared that he um, went to some of the other local meetings. And uh, because he's under 90 days, he gets some attention. And, you know, this guy was asking him, uh, you know, what meetings are you doing? And when he mentioned our group, they said, oh, don't go there. They're atheists. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And he said, they're alcoholics. And, you know, I've used that line myself because sometimes someone will say to me, so how is your atheist meeting going? I said, it's a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous. Yep. You know, so you have to really push that. This is what we are. We are Alcoholics Anonymous yeah. with a door that is that bit wider to capture somebody who's not sure about the God stuff. Yeah. You know? And you know, too, um, at our group, sometimes people refer to other AA meetings as so-called traditional AA. 
And I, I was talking to a woman at our, one of our meetings uh, last weekend or whatever. And I told her, I, I said, I wish that we would just kind of do away with that term traditional AA because mm-hmm. it makes people think that we're somehow different from, and we're not, we're, we're just, hey, we're just Alcoholics Anonymous. We, we yeah. the, you know, we don't pray, you know, no. we don't have that's prayers. Right. Yeah, that's right. Like, And this is the, I mean, ultimately, realistically, you shouldn't have to have separate atheist meetings. Mm-mm. Shouldn't. You know, if, if you're there to talk about your problems with alcohol and how you, you've recovered and what you're doing, you shouldn't need to go into God. You no. know, we wouldn't need it. And but but that being said, I don't want to be seen as an opposition group. You know, no, it's, it's kind of more marketing, really, how you pitch yourself. But, you know, one of the things we decided to do when we were starting the group was we don't want to get into, you know, being at loggerheads with other groups right. or with at the local committee and uh you know we we got ourselves listed we're contributing to the local yeah uh, service office and you know I, I've, I've also had some people that are go to the so-called regular meetings come to visit us you know mm-hmm. and, and one guy put it really like they'll stand up and say you know i have a faith but they don't go into it yeah and you know fine it's 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 fine but one guy said you know he said i like coming to this group because the, I like the people who were here. Yeah. That's the fellowship, you know. If, if you just attract people to that, I, I think that's really what, what we're trying to achieve. I mean, you know, uh, and also we got a lady that came two weeks ago, her first ever AA meeting, mm-hmm. and she <laughs> sought us out because we're atheists. Right. Which leads on to an, an interesting issue because people like myself, we've, we've sort of transitioned to atheism, right? You know? So I've gotten sober, I've figured things out, I've got a few decades up, and then I'm thinking, I, I'm, I'm really an atheist. Yep. So, but, but you have all of this foundation. And right, you- that was my experience. Our call was disconnected for a second time, so I called PJ right back. This happened once before with a conversation I was having with Kaylee P. in Ireland. But everything works out okay. So this must be an Irish thing. I like, know, but <laughs> I, I would I would suggest you're the common denominator here. <laughs> <laughs> well, we were really having an interesting discussion there. You're talking about okay. We well, are talking about um, oh, oh yeah. You and I have this in common that we started out in AA having a couple decades of sobriety before we realized we were an atheist. Yes. and AA, but now we have this whole other group of people who are coming to our group who've never been to AA before, and they're coming to our secular group. And you said that's an interesting um, situation arises from that. Yeah, yeah. So what, what as you, is your experience with that? I mean, you guys are further along. I'd be interested to hear, have you dealt with it in any specific way, or do you make any changes at all? Or Well, it is very interesting. Um, I have some thoughts about it. We really haven't done anything, but this is here's here's what we've here's the kind, different kinds of people that we have to our group. First of all, the the two that started it was me and another guy. We've had experience in AA. Decided we we knew understood how to interpret the steps. We go to our our group. Then we start getting all these other people who either stopped going to AA and started coming back because of our group or people that would never go to AA to begin with. And now we have a lot of newcomers and even a lot of younger people who um, have never, ever, ever been to an AA meeting other than a secular meeting. And what's really interesting about that is um, our group doesn't use the big book. And it's not that we don't like the big book so much. It's just that it's really hard for us to relate to it, you know, 
because of the language that the book uses. So they don't really have the benefit of understanding the history and the culture of AA. And I mm. kind of think that that's important to have. Um, and I'm thinking in the back of my mind of trying to find a way to, to um, do, you know, do some sort of a meeting. I don't know. I don't know if I want to have big book meetings or anything like that, but to have some sort of a meeting um, that gives people an appreciation for the history of AA and, and, and how we got to where we are. Um, mm. But yeah, there's a lot of people that, you know, they have no idea that what a religious AA meeting is like, you know, mm. um, and they hear people because we have another group of people come to our meetings who have had some really bad experiences in AA because we do have some oh, fairly dogmatic groups around here and they have just been beaten, you know, <laughs> and they and they come to our group and then they they kind of do a lot of venting. So the people yeah. who have never experienced the religious sort of AA listen to these people that are venting and almost scares them from ever wanting to go to an AA meeting. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know if I really have any answers, but I did at a meeting not too long ago. I, I chose um, a reading from um, Ernest Kurtz's book, not God, um, mm -hmm. which was a kind of an interesting reading. And it had to do with what you were talking about, the sharing of personal stories and yeah. it was um, it was kind of nice because it also gave a little bit of history and background of, of AA. And I thought that was kind of a nice way to kind of talk about the history a little bit. Yeah. But I don't know if I really have any answer, but it is an interesting thing to observe that we have this whole group of people who are sober. I mean, we have people yep. who have been sober now for you know, we're coming up on a year sober and so forth that have never been to a traditional AA meeting. I know there I am using the word. Don't, wow. you know, don't know the big book, never open, don't even, some of them don't even know what a big book is. <laughs> so, you know, it's really interesting, you know. Yeah. I, I don't know, because what you say there of linking it to the history of AA, yeah. I, I, I think that's really crucial because we could have a situation where the, the seculars come in and they're like a separate entity to AA. Uh -huh. And and my, my thoughts are, if possible, we should all be under the one umbrella, you know, yeah. as much as we can. I mean, that being said, it's not always possible. But uh, one, of the, see, one of the things that what got me sober was I, in the meetings, there were old timers who knew the co-founders of AA in Australia, you wow. know, and they used to talk about them. And then how I started reading the big book was the stories. Mm -hmm. And I still read it today. You know, I read, I've, I divide it in two. So the first section of all what to do and then the stories. And I'll read a story a day and I'll read maybe four or five pages in the first section. And I'll skip, of course, the bits that, um, you know, I can't, it's just to mean, mean nothing to me. But the stories are very important to me still, you know. Yeah. But in relation to the new people, I don't know. We'll have to sort of wait and see, I suppose. Um, yeah. But there's no harm. They're doing well and they're happy. And we yep. do have that's and one thing good about we're here. We do have um, a lot of secular meetings. So the, we have like a meeting yep. every day of the week here in KC, and we're going to start another one up pretty soon. Wow! So you know they have they can get to a lot of meetings. Yeah. And what's what's the population of Kansas like? Well, um, Kansas City, Missouri itself proper has a population of about 400,000. So it's pretty, pretty, you know, it's a, it's a good sized city, but it's not huge. But the metropolitan area is pretty spread out and it covers both states, Kansas and Missouri. Yeah. And I, there's over a million. Yeah. So it's a pretty yeah. good metropolitan, pretty good sized metropolitan area. Um, yeah. 
but like all big cities too, it's kind of broken down little neighborhoods and it's, it's very different from one part of the city to the next. Yeah. Um, and we're fortunate. I, I love, I love the city, but um, here um, we have a really nice environment here. Uh, it's a kind of a liberal city accepting place, you know, um, our group is pretty well thought of uh, here in, in our community, I think, and have yeah. always been accepted from the beginning. And um, and that's helped, I think, you know, because it's easy for people to find us. Our central office will recommend people to come to our group, you know, that are looking for an alternative like that. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I think you need a, a minimum size population uh, to get a bit of diversity. Yeah. Uh, and we have about five million here. Oh, Lord. In uh, in Sydney. So. And, and I, so I should say is what I've said to you about my experience of AA, of course, is only a fraction of the total, you know. Yeah. Uh, and when I first got sober, I went all over the place. I traveled all over Sydney, you know, every suburb uh, because I had so much time on my hands. Uh, I used to fill it in. But these days I do a lot of meetings basically around the northern beaches, which is where our home group is. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, it's hard to tell, you know, the shifts and the changes. But the main thing is if, if you have enough diversity that people who come in are able to find what suits them, you know? Yeah. And rather than, I mean, I've been to in the U S and Canada, some fairly Christiany meetings, you know? Yeah. So as long as you're going to toe that line, you're fine. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, kind of interesting but, how the United States and Canada is like that. And I guess the other parts of the world really aren't, I need to, I need, I don't get to travel very often. So I, it would probably be good for me to experience something like that somewhere, a meeting somewhere else to see what it's really like. But yeah, here it's all the Lord's prayer. And, you know. Oh, is it ever? <laughs> Ex- except for the atheist meeting I went to was uh, at Berkeley. Yeah, yeah, was yeah maybe free from that there. We, we um, close. We, we actually, at our meeting, we have the steps and traditions mm-hmm. uh, up and we have the, we close the meeting with the responsibility declaration. Yeah. And in our opening blurb about the meeting to explain to people what we are, you know, we're Alcoholics Anonymous for Atheist Agnostics. So quad A, we, we took that idea. Yeah. Uh, and we just say, you know, the steps and traditions are hanging up. We haven't changed them. We're not here to change them. Uh-huh. But we, you know, we, we believe everybody has the right to interpret them in a way that works for them. You know? That's exactly what we did. We um, When we actually first started our group, we thought, me and the guy who started it, we thought, we thought about writing our own steps and we we're going to print them up on some big fancy thing and hang them up and so forth. <laughs> you know? But um, we decided against it. And a couple of things. Well, first, we were thinking about the, the situation in Canada where the groups were fighting and stuff about the steps. But then yeah. um, I just said to Jim, I said, well, who are we to say what the steps mean to somebody else anyway? You know? Just let yep. let people interpret it from themselves. And we have all these great books that will help people. Yeah. And that's what we did. Yeah. We started putting the books out for people to look yeah. at. Yeah. Look, you, you, you can't carry people. And it's we, we were in a similar situation of reading out a, a modified version from the big book. Mm. But, you know, what, what do you modify it to? And we, we've, we've got our little display of, you know, atheist-friendly pamphlets mm-hmm. from AA. The Living Sober book, which... Yeah. Uh, anybody could read and like that lady that turned up she bought that and that's just got lots of practical yeah, you know, a good book. 
And we sell the um, the the atheist twelve steps, the alt- alternative ones, the yellow mm-hmm. book, mm-hmm. and of course Adam N's common sense recovery. Yep. Uh, and then you know uh, people say to me, "How about the steps?" And I I tell them about your website, and I say there's podcasts, yep. you know, and <laughs> yeah. uh, because if somebody asks me, see if somebody asks you how it works, there was a guy called Leo from Newtown, and he used to say, "You don't have to understand the workings." of an internal combustion motor in order to drive a motor car. Yeah. You just need to yeah. know how to start it up, how to brake, accelerate, how to steer. You know, rules yeah. of the road. Good point. Similarly yeah. with the program, you don't have to understand it. And that was the mistake, not a mistake, but the approach I made in the beginning. If I could just understand it all, my sobriety would be better. But for me, I just need to know what to do, you know? Yeah. So I... I don't pick up the first drink. I'm a regular attender of meetings of Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, I try and take the principles in the 12 steps as best as I can to apply them in my life um, as best as I can. And yeah. that has changed over the years. But, but, but that requires risk, you know. If, if, you, if you have a, a very fundamentalist faith, it's black and white. You don't have to think about it, you know. Right. Uh, I mean, when I was going to school, it was very Catholic, and, you know, when we were in school, you know, who made the world? God. How long did it take? Seven days. Yeah. <laughs> end, end of discussion. <laughs> there you go. Evolution, you know, physics, we don't have to worry about it. So I can see the attraction of that sort of, uh, you know, I don't have to think about it. These yeah. people, and this is it. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't work for me, but I can see why, whereas uh, if you're a secular you're, you know, you're challenging yourself, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Adam N says in his book that it's probably harder for us as atheists because you don't have the safety net yeah. of, of God to catch you, you know. I would say that the program really came to life for me when I accepted that I was an atheist because I really had to stop and think what these things do mean to me. And, and what I really, what it boils down to for me is, um, I came to the conclusion that the belief was not important at all. It's the yeah. underlying actions and experiences. Yeah. And that's what the yeah. steps really are. They're just experiences. Yeah. They're experiences, things that have happened to us that we've learned from or, or whatever, things that have happened to us, experiences, and then things that we do. Yeah. And what you believe that empowers you through all of that is really not that material. Uh. And, yeah. and, and whether you believe in God or not, the one thing that we all have in common is each other helping yeah. each other through yeah. it. So, it's a, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, I'm comfortable I, I, with that. Yeah. Look, I had, when my eldest son was born, he was bound up in intensive care, like things went wrong and he's okay now. But, um, you know, so he's in this special care nursery. My wife's there with tubes out of her. You know, so after about a week, I hadn't been to a meeting. You can imagine how I was, you know, all over the place. And she said to me, you know, you need to go to a meeting. And I says, you know, I don't want to leave here. And she says, well, you can't do anything. You know, he's okay. I'm okay. And she said, you need a meeting. So, you know, I didn't get in my knees and ask God to help me. I, I just took myself to a meeting that I was yeah. familiar with. I sat down between these two lovely elderly ladies, you know, Roma and Natalie, Mm-hmm. And they just let me sit there and just be me, you know. Yeah. And I just felt love and concern, you know. Yeah. And that's that, that's I've experienced a fair bit of that. And 
you know, I, I just had enough t- to finish off that day and go on to the next day. And I mean, everything didn't work out in the end, but that's sort of, you know, I was, I was, you know, walking up the road after a meeting one day with in between two old timers and I was very new and I just felt safe. You know, yeah. I just felt these guys, I, they said, look, it will get better. You keep coming back. Um, without any, you know, benevolent being that I could sort of ask for help, you know? Yeah, there's a lot of comfort in that. I used yeah. to sometimes, when I was having a really hard time, I would just stop and close my eyes and imagine my home group. One day in particular, yeah. actually, I was only sober, I don't know, 30, 60 days or whatever, and I turned myself into the bondsman, the bell bondsman, <laughs> <laughs> and they took me to jail. <laughs> And oh, that was a horrible experience, but I, oh. but I just kept thinking about my home group, you know, and um, it kind of got me through that. Uh, but yeah, it was kind of that's kind of an interesting story, but yeah. um, that's how I had to go to um, my I had to face up to my last DWI. And I yeah. did it by turning myself into the bell bondsman and throwing myself at the mercy of the court, basically. See, that's, that's putting the steps in your life. <laughs> Look. There's another saying uh, in AA that used to say, you know, uh, some people will say, well, the truth will set you free. And somebody with your story will say, well, it'll actually get you locked up. <laughs> I was insane, basically. I, I was really totally paranoid. It's like every time I saw a police car, I think they were after me. So <laughs> I turned myself into the boss because I couldn't stand walking on the street anymore. <laughs> oh, Lord. That was crazy. Laugh, you can laugh at it now, but at the time... Uh, yeah, it's scary. That's yeah. why I, I'd say with new people, you know, don't change too much in your life, you know. Right. When you, because uh, it's good advice to, they used to say, you know, don't get into a relationship in the first two years, which many people don't. But, yeah. uh, you know, don't make big decisions. Uh, I think it's pretty what, wise to to not it do, is. yeah. Because you're not, you're really not at your best. It takes a little while no. to kind of <laughs> get settled down. Look, I used to think you'll laugh at this, but I, I was going to meetings and I, I wanted to get sober and, and I, I thought I need to get this God thing. And I went to a steps meeting and on the way home, I had this number going through my head, uh, 220 or something. And <laughs> I said, oh, this is this is God talking to me. Now, this is uh, three months over. Yeah. And I, I don't know how I did it. But I looked up some airline timetable and flight 220 was a flight from sydney to auckland in new zealand oh. <laughs> and i thought i gotta get, <laughs> gotta go to get, get a fly over there and luckily i ran this past an old timer and he said i i think you shouldn't i think you should give that a miss <laughs> <laughs> and stay where you are <laughs> that's funny but, uh, yeah but look you have lots of crazy thoughts but as long as you don't act on them you know yeah um, there was a guy, John from Huntress Hill, and because I used to worry about if I was thinking of having a drink or having a desire to have a drink, mm-hmm. you know, I already surprised you. Are drinking dreams? Oh, yeah, I still have them. And there's some people that tell you, oh, you're not on the program. You know, if you're, not, if you're having that, there's something wrong. But, you know, he, he says, you know, when the thought of a drink crosses his mind, he says, well, how about that, John? You're still an alcoholic. Yeah. And see, these are these things I latch on to that it's, there's another line, Bill from Paddle says, you know, it's okay to be not okay. Yeah, you know, that's it's, absolutely it's, right. So when you're new, it's like, the, 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 you know, you're focused on yourself and there's a whole pile of things wrong and there's all these people sober and you, you just haven't got the experience to know 
what it is you need to do. It's it's a chicken and egg situation, isn't it? You know, you got to get a bit sober, get a bit of experience to know what it is that's going to work for you. You know. Yeah. Uh, but it's been great, John. Being sober, best thing ever. You know. Um, yeah. And uh, having the Brookvale meeting now is, you know, put us on the map and we'll well, just see how oh you know it's been yeah. nice to hear the story and it's been really nice to talk with you and thank you very much for doing this and also thank you for contributing to your story to aa beyond belief that was really Hi. nice yeah. um if you ever get to travel to the united states i hope you find your way to kansas city missouri and you stop and say hello yep well i i will make that happen in the next couple of years i'm, I'm overdue a trip so um yep that'll be good Well, that's it for another episode of AA Beyond Belief, the podcast. Hope you enjoyed it. We'll be back soon enough with another episode for your listening pleasure. Until then, don't drink, go to meetings, and help others.